We will be uh, launching Revelation, the series, the majority of the year is going to be the book of Revelation and grabbing the Old Testament prophets and tying them in and doing this really huge breakdown of understanding this book that has been a mystery for so many for so long. And that's going to be exciting. And what we were hoping for is to make that kind of our community launch where you can invite your friends and family and to come on in and and realize that they actually have a seat to sit in now and they can kind of come in and hang out with us a little bit but we're going to do that big kickoff in two weeks today we're going to be doing a study in old testament prophecy to get us prepped we're going to be doing a study in daniel doing one of his amazing visions and revelations of the future the statue that had the gold head and the silver chest and arms and if you remember this we'll be studying that today next week we're going to be studying a very specific prophecy about the city of tyre about how it was devastated and according to how it was prophesied it ended up getting devastated again as a full fulfillment of that prophecy so I would hope that that's uh, helpful to you as well. These are both in preparation of training us for trying to get into the book of Revelation. When we dive back into Daniel in that study, it'll all be familiar. So all this is a primer for what's going to come next. So I hope it's very, very helpful to you. Last announcement. There are 48 dozen donuts. So I'm going to encourage all of you to eat them all. Okay, moving on. Here we go. You're going to need your Bible. Please take out your Bible as we get started this morning. If you don't have one, raise your hands and we will bring one to where you are. We have everyone coming down the rows with some Bibles for you. I'll give you the page number on where to turn to. Also take out the handout sheet that we gave you at the door and we can kind of begin together. If you notice at the top there, I entitled today's message, Thy Kingdoms Come, because the, the vision that God gives to Daniel, as a matter of fact, in the book of Daniel, he gives him seven visions, six of those are directly referring to kingdoms that were either in place or were about to come in the future or in the distant future. But when we look at the book of Daniel, we get kind of nervous. It's, oh, I'm not going to understand it. Is it going to be too hard for me? No, it's not. There are seven visions, and really, Daniel's broken into two major pieces, right? The cool stories and the prophecies. That's really all it's about. The cool stories we're pretty familiar with if you've been in church, maybe since maybe even a little kid. And those stories are Daniel and the lion's den. Okay, we got that one. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fiery furnace okay so we're familiar with the stories the rest of it is prophecy some of it is in the past that we can now go back and study through history some of it is about a future yet to come that's the complicated part that's the part we're going to unpack later this year but in the statue dream of daniel in this message thy kingdoms come we need to understand that we can get locked up in all the details, all the tiny little minute parts and try to say, oh, well, maybe it's this and argue about this and let's get, uh, you know, about dates and times and all that. Hold on. The purpose of prophecy being in the Bible is to remind us something about God, to tell us something about Jesus Christ. So let's keep it basic right up front to so fill in the blank in front of you. It's this. The future is in God's hands alone. The future is in God's hands alone. Nations are not going to do whatever they want to do. Kings are not going to do whatever they want to do. They only get to do what God tells them that they're going to do. Our future is securely in the hands of God. 
Daniel's here. Zechariah's here. Joel was here. All the prophets. Revelation is here to tell us that Jesus Christ is on the throne. Amen. And this is not going to change. When God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And that's why we are going to study the book of Revelation to see what's going to come. Are we going to know exactly? No. Is it a lot of guesswork? Yeah. But one thing is very clear. The future is in God's hands alone. And he dictates what is to come. Now, would you turn with me to the book of Daniel? Daniel chapter 2. It's page 625 in the Bible's handed to you. 625. Daniel chapter 2. As we begin, there's some background information that you need to know. And I realize that trying to go to this church is a bit like having church smooshed together with history class. Okay, I get that. We just finished a three week church history series, right? I can't get away from the dates. I need to tie the Bible into real life. That kind of is how I understand it. So I got to grab these biblical concepts and stick them right into the real world. So that's why I talk a lot about history. So let's do a real quick uh, reminder of some old Israel history. There was there was a time that God called a man out by Abraham, right? You remember Abraham's name? It was from him that all the Jewish people came. Well, eventually they began to get numerous, and that's when they came through, and they were in Egypt under bondage, and Moses breaks them out, and they eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. There was this nation. Well, their highest point of being unified was under a three-king monarchy. It was Saul, David, and Solomon. Those three, that was kind of the big deal in their history. They thought, now we're really a nation, we're amazing, everything's going great, we're flourishing. Well, after Solomon decided to depart from the Lord, God decided to pull back his favor from the nation. And in 930 B.C., that's before Jesus, so we got to back up. In 930 B.C., and remember, it counts down till we hit zero then it counts up everybody clear on that so 930 bc the nation split into two we got the north and the south the north was known as israel the south was jerusalem and judah these names well anyway as the north and the south began to do their own paths the north began to disobey the lord and fall into rebellion and god was going to punish them Well, 200 years after they split in around 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire came in and took over the north. Well, the south was still around. But 117 years later, they went down too. It was around 605 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonian Empire swept in and took over the Jerusalem area. Now, they took over Jerusalem officially in 586, but they came in and started hitting the nation in 605. They began three deportations of the Jewish people. They began to pull them out of their homeland and take them back to Babylon. That first deportation took a young man by the name of Daniel. Three other young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that is indeed where the book of Daniel begins is that they were brought back. These were the best, the brightest, the best looking. These guys, these young men, were absolutely stunning in every way. But Daniel had something different. God gave him the ability to understand dreams and interpret dreams and to see visions. 
And that is how God is going to use him for the next 70 years. Daniel was in place in high levels as an official in the Babylonian Empire, even got to see the switchover from the Babylonian Empire into the Medo-Persian Empire. He was alive. He was in place during all of that. For 70 years, he had a front row seat as to what God was doing. God used him intricately to dream, to dream dreams and to see things and begin to tell the nation what was to come. This is the book that we have in front of us. And we pick it up around chapter two. Now, I would hope that as we go through this and just skip the surface, Daniel had multiple visions, as I told you, about these same kingdoms. So you're going to go on from today and go, gosh, I wonder what else there's in that book of Daniel. That's kind of the point. I'm trying to get you excited about it. So you'll go study on your own and you're going to start reading and go, oh, he had a dream of four beasts. What does that mean? It's the same four kingdoms. Oh, he had a dream of this goat versus this ram and blah, blah, blah. Same kingdoms. Okay. So you understand what I'm saying? When you go through and study it on your own, you can do this. You can see it. You can go through and look at it. You can grab a few notes and it begins to open up for you. So please don't be afraid of it. We begin by praying for the word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the glorious things that you have done in our midst. Even sitting here in a brand new place, we know that you have accomplished something that men could not. We know that any moment, Lord, you can remove your hand of blessing. We know that at any time you can do anything you want to do. And we want to hand over to you the reins of this church at all times on a moment by moment basis. Lord, our leadership here knows that you are in charge. We know all good gifts come from above. But Lord, now as we engage into your word, we need you once again to come down and talk baby talk to us. We need you to come down and begin to open up this word and reveal to us stuff that we need to know. We need to understand why we're supposed to care and what it means for the future. And may you be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ready to go? Let's do it. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, we're in 604 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could, his, was troubled and he could not sleep. Now let's talk for a moment. Why does his dreams bug him so much? You have dreams. I got weird psycho dreams, right? You don't want to hear my dreams. It'll just make you very unsettled by being in this church. I'll just tell you that. Okay. I always got the weird demonic nun surfing, those kind of dreams. You understand what I'm saying? I got really weird dreams. Okay. Why is this guy so troubled by dreams? Well, in the ancient world, people believed that the gods communicated through dreams. And this is a pagan nation. And so they believed that the gods were telling him all sorts of messages and they needed to pay attention because everything may hinge on whether or not they interpret it right or not. So this guy was severely troubled and he had dreams, plural. It was not just one dream. He had succeeding dreams of troubling issues, but one really locked in his mind. And he said, there is something I've got to know. So now he's troubled. So he has to go check in with all the brilliant people in his kingdom. So, so the king summoned and listen to this list, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to him, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Okay, who are these guys? Well, it's very similar. When we went through the Christmas story, we talk about 
the Magi, you know, and they kind of had this astronomy slash astrology kind of wisdom groove going on. It, these are the men that some of them were in the black arts, some of them were in sorcery, and they would try to seek demonic methods by which to know the future. Some of them were just science guys. The other were very academic. They were trying to learn and decipher things and know what's next. Because if you're a king that is constantly under attack, both from within your kingdom and outside your kingdom, you always want to have the edge. So you're going to have these guys surrounding you, guys that allegedly can get you the edge in the spirit world. So he has these guys surrounding him. Now, you have to understand the wise men category has a lot of different guys in it. Daniel and his crew are in that group. They are considered the wise men of Babylon. So we pick up the story and it says, then the astrologers answered the king in what? Aramaic. What's fascinating is from here all the way through the end of chapter seven, the language changes from Hebrew to Aramaic all the way through till you hit the end of chapter seven. It goes back to Hebrew. Why? Because Aramaic was the kind of commonly known language and they were in such a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural environment because everyone was getting conquered that they needed to talk one common language. But when it gets very specific to the Israel nation, they can jump back to Hebrew. Does that make sense? That's why we got it. So we move on. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Okay. They're pretty used to this. Everything's pretty, pretty common. King goes, man, I had this really weird dream. Okay. There was this amazing big bouncy ball and I didn't know what it was about. And they go, well, the bouncy ball means that you're super powerful. Okay. Well, then he would get happy. Right. Because they just they could just lie their way through it. It's very easy to just lie through an interpretation if you don't know it. So he thought, well, wait a second. I don't know how truthful these guys are being. I have no idea if they're just kissing up to me. I have no idea if they're legitimate. I need to know. So I'm going to do it a little different this time. This dream is too important, too serious to be messing around. So the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces. I'll have your houses turned into piles of rubble. Now, that's pressure. Yeah? He's like, I just firmly decided I will kill you all. And you're like, wow, really? I mean, we don't have one chance to, to mess up? He's like, no, I'll just kill you. And then this is funny because then he tries to encourage him with this next phrase. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Well, now they're stuck. Okay. You cannot just kind of lie your way through this. Because what he just said was, tell me my dream. What's my dream? And they're like, what? what's your dream? No, I interpret stuff. I don't tell you your dream. That's ridiculous. So what did they say? It says, uh, once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Okay? The king said, I am certain you're trying to gain time. Okay. Which they're just, they're like, I, I can't do anything. So I'm just going to try to lie because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream. Then I'll know that you can interpret it for me. 
The astrologers answered the king, there is no man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. That's a rather dramatic statement. Made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. In other words, you guys may be so mad, everyone dies. All wise men. Well, who's in that crew? That's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel, and at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so he might interpret the dream for him. Now, on one hand, you can say, what an incredibly bold move. You walk in, you go, give me a second. I think I can do this. Now, he's dreamed dreams and interpreted dreams before, but that's no guarantee. You do not have to, you do not get to tell God when he's going to give you some spiritual gift. You do not force things on him. This is God's business. So he's going to go and beg before God. But on the other hand, does he have anything to lose? So he does it wrong. Then what happens? He gets killed. But isn't he going to get killed anyway? I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. So he asked for time. It said what? Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Who are those guys? That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the Shadrach, those names are Babylonian names. The names you just heard are the Hebrew names. When you're captured and you're taken over, they don't want to bother messing with your old names. They'll just give you new ones. Okay? Because they're kind of like, well, you're going to talk my language. You're going to live in my place. We don't need everyone to constantly remember you're a Hebrew. So can we just change that? That'd be great. Thanks. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So how scary of a night was it for the other three guys? <laughs> they're like, I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything, right? The whole time they're scared until they meet for donuts and coffee in the morning. And Daniel's like, it's all right. It's all right. I got it. I got it. I got it last night. It's okay, you guys. Right? They're just completely, you know, their hair is all crazy. And, you know, I sleep all night. You know, he's like, well, that's part of the problem. You see, you can't have a dream unless you go to sleep, buddy. So anyway, we move on. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man from among the exiles from Judah who can tell me to can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? This is a great response. Daniel replied, no, <laughs> it's pretty funny. He just kind of rebukes him right here. 
No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. In other words, no, of course not. That's a stupid request. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay in your bed are these. Now, he's literally going to tell him the dream. That means Daniel had to receive from God this amazing dream and then explain it. Pretty cool. So here is the dream. As you are lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. The revealer of mysteries showed you what was going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue, it became a huge mountain and it filled the whole earth. This was a dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Now, let's pause right there. Let's say God gives you that. What's it mean? It's one thing to get the dream. You're kind of like, I don't know. I mean, that's, I mean, you may be able to go, okay, let's see. Let me try to figure it out. Uh, gold, and then it goes down to, so we're going from more valuable to less valuable. Wait a second. Wait, we're going from top down. That doesn't work. Well, what about uh, uh, how long they last? Okay, so we're going from less uh, strong to more strong. Okay. Do you have any guesses? I mean, really, that's what you got. No wonder the king couldn't understand it. Luckily, God just told him exactly what it means. And it's this. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Let's stop. That's pretty high praise. But what did he just say? You have your power from God. In other words, I know you don't believe in my God. I'm just telling you. It's not you, buddy. You're only here because God let you be here. And you need to understand that. And when he says you're done, you're done. He said, in your hands, he has placed mankind. And indeed, this is the biggest empire in the world at this time. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air, wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Now, what's interesting is we find out that these are succeeding kingdoms. There were four succeeding kingdoms that came upon the earth. One took over after the other. Well, he begins to mention the first one, but it's the only king that is ever mentioned. Because truly, the Babylonian Empire, ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, was the only monarchy. It was the only one that had a legitimate king. All the rest had plurality of leadership or they traded off with different guys. So only one guy is mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar is feeling pretty dang good right about now. 
right? He was just called king of kings. You're the biggest guy in all the world. You're that gold head. And indeed, Nebuchadnezzar was a freak about gold. He had a gold throne in a gold city. If you ever want to talk about like El Dorado and this idea of city of gold, Babylon underneath Nebuchadnezzar was the city of gold. Uh, king, uh, the historian Herodotus said, you've never seen so much gold in all your life when you walk in that it's just gaudy. It's just enormously gold everywhere. That was Nebuchadnezzar. So is it any wonder right now he's thinking I'm looking pretty good. But then notice what he says next. He said, after you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. But as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. Just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain but not of human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Powerful. So what was the reaction? Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the wise men. Moreover, in Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. How did Daniel get a front row seat? There you go. Just like that. So what do we do with this? Who are these kingdoms? What are we supposed to know? Why is he even revealing this? Well, You'll notice that the Bible, when it gives revelations, especially to Jewish men and women, it usually impacts Israel in some way. So a lot of times you're going to go, so are these all the kingdoms of the world? No, no, only the ones that directly impact Israel. And indeed, all four of these did. They impact Israel. So when you're going to be talking a lot about revelation, you're going to see a lot of what impacts Israel very specifically, a lot of Middle East activity. So it's not trying to tell you everything. It's trying to tell you what they needed to know. But it also begins to tell you that everything is in God's hands, that he can reveal out to you what is going to occur. So now we have the statue of what seems to be four major parts. The head we already learned is what? But the Babylonian Empire. 
what do we know about the Babylonian Empire? Well, here's a couple things that I found out as I was doing my research. First of all, where's the territory? Where's the hotbed? Where is Babylon, the city? Where was it located in modern day world? Iraq. So you want to talk about something that's in the papers all the time? There you go. So we're talking about the Iraqi people. That's where it all started from. As a matter of fact, there were two people groups back in 2500 B.C. So we're now zooming back 4,500 years in time. The Sumerians and the Akkadians were a people group, and they ended up being settled over top by the Amorite people. They ended up setting up a king, and the first king of the Babylonian Empire was a man by the name of King Hammurabi. Have you ever heard that name before? The Code of Hammurabi was discovered in 1909. It is the oldest written law that we have on earth. It was inscribed in stone of a rock nine feet high. And we uncovered this, and it was a code of ethics and law. That same guy is King Hammurabi. Well, he was the first guy that kind of kicked this whole thing off. And it all kind of centered around this magnificent city of Babylon. Babylon is one of the oldest cities on earth and it has been taken over many different times. But when you learn about it, you go, how in the world does anybody ever take this thing over? As it began to get built and get bigger and bigger at one point, uh, this is how scholars described it. The walls were 15 miles wide, right? So this is a pretty big city when you're just talking about a walled fortress. It's 15 miles square around the city, 350 feet high walls, 87 feet thick. What the heck are you going to do with an 87 foot thick wall? That's a pretty thick wall, right? What's the point? Impenetrable. You cannot smash through it. You're not going to get in. They can keep you out forever. So the only way you can ever take it is what? By siege. You have to starve them out. Problem is the Euphrates River runs right underneath the walls and provides a water source. So they always have a water source. They can, with 15 miles square, they can pack a lot of food in there. They're going to wait you out. You're not going to take them over. But it was not just so, it was not just mighty. It was beautiful. What do we know about Babylon? Well, it had one of the seven wonders of the world. You guys remember hearing about all the different wonders of the world? Well, one of them was there. What was it? The hanging gardens. Gardens that were coming over top, luscious, beautiful place that was so stunning, everyone just caught their breath away. You got gold, you got hanging gardens, you got a mighty fortress. This Babylon was a huge deal. As a matter of fact, it's such a big deal. It's mentioned all throughout Scripture. Isaiah and Jeremiah both speak about it. Isaiah talks about when the Assyrians owned it and they were going to get taken over. Jeremiah talked about this particular Neo-Babylonian empire. But Babylon just keeps coming up. Guess what city gets focused on in Revelation? Babylon. We all do it all over again. Babylon seems to be the major motif in Scripture when it starts talking about a pagan nation. All right. So what else do we know? Well, we know that Daniel was there when it was taken over and it went from the gold head to the silver chest. How do we know that? A man took over after Nebuchadnezzar named Belshazzar, another king. He was the king of this Babylonian empire and he was a cocky 
young guy. He just did everything he wanted to do, and he was completely pagan. He had no interest in the Lord, no matter what Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would do there. He didn't care. He was doing his own thing. He was serving other gods. All of a sudden, he has this huge party one night. You guys remember this story? It's in Daniel chapter 5. All of a sudden, there's this huge party. Everybody's drinking. Everybody's blitzed and slammed, and a lot of different stuff was going on. Let's just leave it that way. And all of a sudden, a huge hand shows up. You remember this story? Right there, right in front of them. Everybody's sitting there drinking. All of a sudden, this hand shows up, a disembodied hand, and it starts inscribing on the wall. Okay, I don't know what you just drank, but you're going to freak out, right? Because you're just going to go, what was in that? Because I'm seeing a hand. Is anybody else seeing a hand up there? Big, huge hand scribes out these four words on the wall. Well, all of a sudden, the king, everyone's just panicking. Oh, my gosh, there's a big hand, right? It just sounds stupid. But they're running around. They're scared to death. They don't know what's going on. So they ran and grabbed Daniel. Daniel very simply walks in, looks at it, and he goes, you're done. That's it. God just wrote on the wall. I'm taking the kingdom away from you. That's it. You're over. Oh, that was awesome. Well done, Daniel. Good job. Gives him all this stuff. That night, the Medo-Persian Empire marched on the city while they're all still slammed and drunk because they didn't change anything. They're all gone, lost in revelry. And you know how they got the city? Check this out. The Euphrates River goes into the city, so they diverted it up, upstream. They diverted it away to lower the, the level down to mid-thigh on a man. They walked underneath the walls. They just walked right under the walls, came in, stormed, took the whole thing down. Everybody in leadership was drunk. They could kill them all. They win. And there's a transfer from the golden head to the silver chest. What is the Medo-Persian Empire? That's a silver chest, right? Well, originally it was media. Media was the empire, and there was this king, and they had a lot of the territory over there uh, in the area, and kind of in Greece and all that stuff. Well, then all of a sudden, the grandfather was running the show, but then a grandson rose up, rebelled against him as part of the Persian people. He rose up, and instead of taking over his grandfather and becoming the next king of Media, he said, I want to be called the king of Persia. And all of a sudden, Persia began to rise up, and Persia was more important than media, but it was still known as the Medo-Persian Empire. The kid who rose up and took over everything was a man by the name of Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great, it was under his leadership. His general was the one that stormed underneath the walls. So he began to take over the place. He took over Babylon. Now, Cyrus the Great, 600 to 539 B.C., under his 30-year reign, he conquered an enormous amount of territories, did three massive empire knockdowns, the Lydian Empire, the Median Empire, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It was him that was in charge. He put a guy named Darius in charge that Daniel served underneath. But it was this guy that was prophesied hundreds of years before that he would show up and he would help the Jewish people. And Cyrus the Great issued a massive decree that the Jews could go back home. Sometimes you say he's a good guy. Sometimes you say he's a bad guy. But this guy was the silver chest and the arms. While he was trying to invade Egypt, he died in battle and his son had to take over. And his son ended up conquering Egypt. 
and they took over much of the known world. Well, there was another kingdom to come. It went Babylonian, Medo-Persian. What was the next one? Uh, thigh and legs of... Uh, excuse me, um, belly of what? Bronze. Who is that? Well, a better vision Daniel had that described this kingdom and the transfer. He said, before me was a ram and a goat. The ram is going out and one horn was longer than the other. That's the Persians were more important than the Medians. This ram, it says he ran back and forth in my dream, trampling on everything. They were in charge of everything and they thought they could never be taken over. And then out of nowhere shows this goat with one central horn on it. Now, so you're thinking unicorn goat, right? So unicorn goat shows up on the scene. It says he jumps in, comes flying super fast, bam, just nails the ram, drives it into the ground, breaks off all of its horns and takes over. But at the height of its power, the major horn, the center horn that did all the damage is broken off and four horns rise up. What kingdom is that? But the kingdom of Greece. Who is the one person you probably know as a leader of the Greek Empire? Alexander the Great. Everybody remembers this guy, right? He's the greatest commander that ever lived. Alexander the Great, at 20 years old, becomes king of Macedon, the area where he lived. He took it over from Philip II, his dad. When he was born, an oracle said that he was the son of the god Zeus, and he believed it. He lived as if he was God. He thought he was unconquerable. Nothing could shut him down. So for 12 straight years, with no break, military campaigns, and took over the whole known world, all the way to India. Nobody took over that fast. No one's ever done what Alexander the Great has done. That prominent horn, he went through and with speed, in 12 years, wiped out the whole world. But at the height of his power, at the age of 32, he died under mysterious conditions. What happened? He had a high fever and he died. Just like that. Nobody knows why. Everyone's got a guess. But he's in his tent. Dies. Alexander the Great, the greatest conqueror ever, is off the scene. What happens? His territory is broken up into four pieces and four leaders rise up. You have to understand the prophecy stuff is just mind-blowing. That these prophecies were fulfilled exactly dead on as they go through. Well, sure enough, for time reasons, we're going to step out of some of this. But now we have legs and feet, right, of iron. But the feet are different. They're mixed with what? Clay. So he's talking about partly brittle, partly this, partly that, partly this. In other words, it's a divided kingdom. There's a bunch of complication to it. Honestly, the next kingdom that rises up, we know, but it's hard to chronicle. It's the Roman Empire. Because after the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire stepped up. Now, the Roman Empire did things different than every other kingdom. It starts out as a city that gains power. Then for 500 years, it's the Roman Republic. Then in 27 AD, with their first emperor 
Augustus. They become the Roman Empire. And suddenly, they're on the scene and crushing the world down in domination. They move through. Just as much as Alexander the Great launched the Hellenistic Greek culture on the world, these guys systematically began to move through and force the whole world underneath their power. But what's the mixture of the clay? What's that all about? Well, they never had one major leader. And some people go, oh, that's this mixture of what's going to come next. And that's a future kingdom. Some people guess that. Some people go, no, no, no. The, the mixture is when the church, you remember we just studied in church history where the Roman church and the Roman government fuse together, but one does not tie in with the other and they are never going to fully mix. You can't have the church and the state in the exact same way unless it's a theocracy under God. Is that what it means? See, everybody's got these views. What's the truth? Well, that's a big part of what we have to unpack in the Revelation study. But we know that the Roman Empire was a dominating influence. Sure enough, underneath the Roman Empire, who showed up on that Christmas night? But Jesus Christ. And he began to set up a kingdom that would eventually fill the whole earth. What do you think is going to happen at the end when the whole world begins to crumble? What do you think is going to happen when we have this mighty war? Who do you think is going to win? It's always Jesus. It's always God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He will dominate and fill the whole earth. That's why it's in our Bible. You see, as you go through Daniel, all his different visions tell you different things, and they give more detail, and this king's going to rise against that king, and then ten kings are going to come out, and then this is going to happen. It's pretty cool stuff. But ultimately, there's really just one point. God's in control. And I don't know where you're at in your life, but you need to know that. You need to know that things are not accidental. You need to know that things are not haphazard. You need to know that God is going to make sure that his kingdom is established here on earth. Amen? Amen. Let's just finish out with a couple last thoughts on here. No one believed that the mighty Roman Empire would fall. No one believed the Greek Empire would fall. No one believed that the Persian Empire would fall. Every time you're living in a time that there's a great massive empire, you never believe it will ever change. You guys, as a small child, I grew up in the nuclear age, right? The idea that when I started being able to understand the news and watch TV, everything was about Russia. I grew up under Russia as the great threat, right? And it was this whole idea where it's going to, someone's going to push the button, someone's going to push the button. I mean, that was really what I grew up under. And it was two big superpowers, America versus Russia. And then in my lifetime, the Russian Empire went, it fell over, like almost overnight. You're like, really? It just crumbled like that? Now they're rebuilding. Everybody's rebuilding. What's interesting is the Persian Empire rises up out of what people group? The Indo-Iranians. So the Persian Empire is Iran. The Babylonian Empire is Iraq. And you begin to keep hearing the same names rise up over and over and over again. But ultimately, God decides who rises up and who falls. And I know that sometimes you read this stuff and you go, it doesn't apply to me. Yeah, it does. Some people begin to guess on that brittle thing. Is Babylon going to be rebuilt? 
Is that what's going to happen? It's going to rise back up as a nation and they're going to repopulate. It's going to be a mighty city. That's where the Antichrist is going to come in. Do you realize that Babylon is being rebuilt? Everybody clear on that one? Yeah. Who, who did the rebuilding? Saddam Hussein. He got all the things started again. All the foundations got laid and he started rebuilding, wanting to rebuild the greatest city on earth. Oops, we kind of shut that down. We stormed in and knocked it over. The walls are still there, but the leader's gone. Now he's not even on the scene anymore. But will someone reestablish that city? Will the Antichrist move through that? Is the Antichrist coming out of Rome? Is he coming out of the Middle East? Everybody's got to guess. But one thing is sure, that rock that hit the feet of all those kingdoms shattered everything. It was the one not built by human hands that would rise up and fill the whole earth. God will win, period. And Jesus will return. We as believers will be with our God But I'm not going to tell you that the ride's going to be easy. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be simple, basic, calm, cool, peaceful. No, it's going to be time of turmoil, time of tumultuousness. And I know we don't like hearing that. But when you tell a bunch of people that are already in persecution that God's going to win and someday all the fighting is going to be over, that's an encouragement. To them, this is the best news they've ever heard. Shouldn't it be for us as well? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for a reminder of tracing back through history, a history that you revealed hundreds, thousands of years before it occurred. That, God, you are so in control and all-knowing of what is going to occur that it gives us peace. That we know ultimately you will reign. We know ultimately you will achieve your ends. So God, we submit our lives to you, knowing that you are the conquering one, knowing that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Right here, right now, today, we want to bow our knee and call you King. That Lord, every every knee someday is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that you are Lord. We want to do it today, right here, right now. Willingly, wanting to bring you glory, wanting to bring you praise. That Lord, even in this place where our lives are changing and things are beginning to move forward and things are exciting, we want to praise you now. We want to give you the thanks and the glory Every moment of the day, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.